Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We are at the halfway stage of the Miami Open, and my word, there's been a lot to catch up on, because Great Britain has a world number one tennis player for the first time ever in many people's books. Some people are saying that Virginia Wade uh, managed to get there in 1974. Five as a doubles world number one, but they weren't really doing the rankings back then. Jamie Murray, we absolutely know, is the world number one doubles player at the moment, or he certainly will be when the rankings are released on Monday. And uh, so fantastic achievement for him. We've also had uh, Heather Watson and Joe Conta from a British perspective getting into the last 16, the first British woman to do that since Joe Jury in 1988. And there's two of them who've managed to do it. We'll be discussing our Miami memories. Uh, There's many of those from over the years. And we're going to have our own little game of confessions in the appropriately named My Rubbish Prediction in honour of Catherine Whitaker, who's right here on the Tennis Podcast. Hello, Catherine. Not for long, if you carry on like that, David. Well, accurate, you know. We'll find out. It's been a it's been a very cathartic week discovering how many other people have made predictions as rubbish as me and are prepared to admit to them, as I seem to do weekly. Yeah, certainly all of them combined probably do add up about the same number as you've made in total. But uh, anyway, we've got other things to discuss before we get on to my rubbish predictions. And it is a rather more serious uh, discussion that we need to have just to follow up on, on last week when... Obviously, the, the news broke of Ray Moore's comments and uh, he subsequently resigned uh, pretty much the next day. Uh, I think it was absolutely the right thing to do. It was inevitable, uh, given exactly what he did say and the, the the understandable, I think, completely understandable reaction to his words. The comments of Novak Djokovic, which we obviously poured over last week, and have subsequently been followed up from himself with a, a a Facebook statement in which he tried to clarify his position. I have to say, I don't think he did the greatest job in the world at doing so in that particular uh, post. And I think he did a much better job when he eventually spoke to the media in Miami at his uh, pre-tournament press conference, having spent half an hour in the company of Billie Jean King. Now, Catherine, you and I have spent a little bit of time with her in London when she was at the Royal Albert Hall. She's an, an extraordinary woman in so many different ways. But even on a very personal one-to-one level, I don't think it is possible to spend time with that woman 
given the experiences she's had, the knowledge she clearly has, and the the sheer presence that she has, not to be influenced by the way she talks. And I suspect that Novak Djokovic has probably learnt a few things over the last week and certainly learnt a few things in the company of Billie Jean King. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And um, I'm prepared to believe so because, as you say, I think I, I can't believe anybody wouldn't be affected how privileged he is to have been able to spend half an hour be- <laughs> with, uh, with Billie Jean King learning um, from her wisdom. Um, so I hope so. I'm prepared to believe so. And even if even if not, I mean, let's just imagine worst case scenario here. I'm not saying this is the case, but worst case scenario is that this is all a PR stunt. This is all, you know, oh, crikey, I was, I'm really blindsided by the reaction to what I said after the Indian Wells final and uh, need to do some PR smoothing over here. Even that, even the worst case scenario recognises the fact that it's really not okay not to believe in equal prize money and it recognises that, you know, for for repairing one's image, it's really not okay to feel that way. So even in that scenario, I'm pleased with how events have played out this week and I I don't, I I think most likely it's not the worst case scenario. Look, there there has been PR at play. No one's naive enough to think that there's not but equally I think we know that he did spend half an hour with Billie Jean King and I defy anybody not to be come out of that experience better informed and with a lot more wisdom so um look I'm I mean I I've been depressed at points this week I've had to turn off my Twitter notifications at points this week um and uh yeah there have been moments where I've thought perhaps the world isn't where I thought it was and I've been a bit disheartened by that um, particularly because I think what Djokovic said in Indian Wells, it gave people that agreed with him sort of a legit. It gave a legitimacy to to the way they felt, and they felt like, oh yeah, I'm gonna you know, come out and wave the flag for I don't believe in equal prize money either. And I think at least that has largely silenced that, or silenced the sort of less rational side of that argument. Look, I'm com- completely prepared to listen to to rational arguments against equal prize money. I've heard some quite compelling ones. I, I haven't agreed with them. I have I think there are counters to all of them, as you know, and as I explained last week. Um, but I, I'm perfectly prepared to listen to them, and I think it enriches the debate. And as, as I also explained last week, I think there is a debate to be had because the current situation isn't perfect. However, I think we're in a lot more of a satisfactory place now than we were this time last week i'd agree with that i'd also just add two small points to that one is i think Djokovic has been trying to say that perhaps he he didn't come across as as he quite intended to a week ago we have to say that whether you believe it or whether you don't that is something that he has uh, he has tried to impress upon people over the last week the other thing is i think some people as you say have used it as an opportunity to to voice opinions that maybe they wouldn't have felt uh, able to do before, um, and and I think that Novak Djokovic's view was a, is a heck of a lot more diluted than many of the ones that I've been hearing over the last week, and I think he's he's because of his position as the world number one, he's inevitably been. I, I think some of the things that have been attributed to him, I've read a couple of columns this week that have rather disturbed me in that 
people have been putting a few words in his mouth that he didn't actually say. He did say some things, but certainly not on the level of, of one or two of the columns that I read. But anyway, we, we've been over it over the last week, and I, and I do agree with you. I think we're in a lot better place now than we were a week ago. Once again, just a note, I think Andy Murray's position in categorically saying, I believe in equal prize money at all combined events, is certainly the view that I have. And uh, whether or not it's my view or not, is I just think it's it's impressive and pleasing to see somebody who's prepared to very clearly state what their opinion is and why and risk not being very popular as a result. Yeah, I think it's marvellous. I mean, I know we risk this being sort of the Andy Murray fan show because everyone knows, you know, we, we know him fairly well. We've interviewed him, you know, we're, we're British. But I think he just continues to prove himself to be a great tennis player and a really great human being really I mean I was just so heartened by his comments this week and so heartened by how simply he sees it it's just so clear to him how things it's just you know there's no but you know it's just you know he can't fathom why there wouldn't be equality and that's you know that's of course how I see it you know there's there's a, you know I look forward to the day where someone says I'm a feminist and everyone just shrugs like yeah of course you are like you know you don't need to point out i'm i'm <laughs> i'm not a racist anymore i mean that's essentially what you, you are doing by saying I'm, I'm a feminist it's that sort of it shouldn't have to be a positive assertion it should be you are by default feminist anyway um and that's what you got from andy murray and uh i thought it was wonderful and thank goodness for andy murray and as you say it should not go unnoticed that um, he's putting a lot on the line because uh, men's locker rooms are pretty macho, unenlightened places a lot of the time. And uh, he will, he will undoubtedly be getting stick and he doesn't care because he knows he's right. And that's just great. He's pretty happy at the moment as well, Catherine. I think it took him uh, roughly... 12 seconds to uh, to put something out on social media the moment that it was confirmed that his brother was mathematically assured of becoming the world number one doubles player and it's no surprise uh, they're very close he he says he can barely watch his brother he gets very stressed when when he's playing matches but just a word on Jamie Murray's achievement there we've talked about it in passing before particularly when Jamie Murray won the Australian Open doubles title alongside Bruno Suarez but to get to number one in the world to do it consistently over a year I was looking back four years ago in 2012 when he had 14 different doubles partners and he actually played in the Loughborough Futures event or, or whatever it's called at one stage in that year and didn't even make the final. He was, I, I think he was really close to calling it quits and, and just giving it up. And here he is four years later at the top of the tennis world. Andy hinted at that, didn't he, in, in the interview uh, I did with him at, at Queen's a few weeks ago. He said, uh, I asked him about what it was like to watch his, his brother win a Grand Slam doubles title. And he said, I didn't think I'd see the day. He said it was... It wasn't until he reached the Wimbledon final last year, really, that he he started to entertain that as a possibility, um, and that's just amazing. I mean, I don't. There's there's not much I can say because I, the achievement speaks for itself, doesn't it? He is world number one. He's the best person at the world in the world at what he does, and that speaks for itself. Amazing. Well done. 
It does. And uh, a cracking guy, too, aside from all that. You know, just uh, really nice to see that nice guys can finish first once in a while. Excellent. Uh, Joe Conter and uh, Heather Watson, we mentioned in the intro, Catherine, into the last 16. It was only moments ago as we record this that Joe Conter made it. Really close match against a very informed Russian in Elena Vesnina, who's been playing some great stuff of late. And there was a moment where Conter went from 4-2 up in the decider to 4-5 down. And I thought at that particular point, I'm not sure she's going to get over the finish line here. And she just refused to, to to let it slip. Now, she may have had it taken away from her. It can happen, but she didn't wilt. And yet again, Conta shows another stride. And equally, Watson did the same a night ago, a third set match. She was down in trouble against Yanina Whitmire, came back to win. Conta's been doing it for a while. Watson... We've been waiting for this from a British perspective, haven't we? Because that Serena Williams match at Wimbledon last year suddenly has sort of started to look like an anomaly itself over the past couple of years because she hasn't been able to string these wins together. Suddenly she's doing so. Yeah, it's imp- I wonder if they're exchanging notes behind the scenes. I don't know actually how much they do interact or whether they're friends. I don't. I don't know that they're not friends I don't know that they're friends I suspect there's quite a healthy rivalry between them I think certainly it's making every this sort of feeling that something good is happening in British women's tennis is certainly spurring them all on it must be desperately hard for Laura Robson I have to say spare a thought for her to be so excluded from that feeling of excitement I mean she's doing her best to to get in on the action but the facts are that just at the moment she's so far outside of that um that it I mean I can only imagine how hard that is for her so spare a thought for Laura Robson but they're doing brilliantly both Heather Watson and Johanna Conta coming through these tough matches that Conta one had shades of the match against Denise Alatova at the Australian Open where she failed to serve it out and I I like you was thinking oh no is this going to be the old Joe Conter is she going to throw it away here and no she broke immediately back and she did it and uh, that's a real real difference in mentality isn't it I mean Heather Watson's always been good at the fight back victory but still still credit to her for doing it and uh, for getting into this position. Uh, and just a little uh, forerunner for the My Rubbish Predictions uh, competition that will uh, be coming up soon uh, on the Tennis Podcast. I do know somebody who, in the year starting predictions for the rest of the year, said that uh, Heather Watson would rank ahead of Joe Conta by the end of the year. I, I know there was somebody who did do that, and that somebody was me. Uh, so, anyway, uh, enough of that. But Conta... I think the the feeling I've had over the past few months is, yeah, okay, what's the catch? At some point, or whatever facade she's built up of being able to to be a top twenty, top thirty player in the world, it's going to slip, and she's not. She's just going to go back to what she used to be because leopards can't change their spots, or, or that kind of feeling. But I I just don't I don't see that now at all. She just keeps on reaffirming that this is her, that this is what she has in her capabilities. And she's she's proving it over and over. Fantastic to see from her perspective. On the men's side, Catherine, it's all been a bit of a mess, hasn't it? Roger Federer did his pre-tournament press conference, said that he, he was 
fit again after injuring his knee as he he revealed in that conference that it was due to slipping uh, and twisting a little bit awkwardly when he was uh, bathing one of his kids uh, and before he could play his match against Juan Martin Del Potro, he had to pull out with gastroenteritis. And it's something that has been causing a lot of the players problems in Miami. I suspect it may be the same thing that put paid to Rafael Nadal uh, a night ago when he had to pull out in the, in the third set of his match. But yeah, it's all been a bit of a mess. It has Rafael Nadal retiring. Uh, First time in six years. Yeah, quite something. I mean, I think the conditions are challenging, but not spectacularly more challenging than uh, than they have been in, in previous years in Miami. I mean, you know you're getting humidity, heat and humidity in Miami, don't you? Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a really bizarre sight, seeing Nadal retire and, and to see him booed. I mean, come on, this guy's built up enough benefit of the doubt. You know that if he's retiring, there is a pretty serious reason why he cannot play that that tennis match in front of him. I, 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 I must say, I hate seeing players of that level getting booed. Uh, you know, players who are in the top three or four in the world who just keep doing it over and over. And you know, we had it with Djokovic, didn't we? In uh, was it Dubai a few weeks back? And you're thinking, come on. Yeah, being booed for retiring, I think, is uh, unless there's something you know very fishy looking at play I think is really harsh I mean it must be an awful thing I mean these people are where they are because they're the ultimate competitors they're more competitive than you you and I can ever imagine you know I think I'm competitive at a game of Monopoly and I can't even really conceive of how competitive you know the likes of Rafael Nadal etc it must just kill them inside to concede to wave the white flag in a tennis match so I could for, definitely beat you at Monopoly for, for, whoa there David whoa there <laughs> don't 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 make me rise to this I'm 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 bigger than that come on um yeah it must be killing them inside and then for them to be booed off a tennis court is uh, I mean look it's heat of the moment isn't it it's people that have paid top dollar to see a full day's tennis possibly even just to see you know their favorite player and then to see them wander off the court but um maybe it's hard to be rational in those moments but it is it was a terrible shame to see that treatment of Nadal it was uh, Novak Djokovic came out showing no real ill effects uh, from the well I suppose the the con- controversy that's followed over the last week. Uh, he's just dusted himself down and took on Britain's Kyle Edmund, who'd had a great uh, third set tie break win in the previous round. And uh, did all right, actually, Edmund, the man who, of course, uh, won the tiebreak tens tournament in the Royal Albert Hall at the end of last year. And he, he did pretty well in that final set tiebreak against Vesely in the previous round to the one against Djokovic. But ultimately, 6-3, 6-3. And Djokovic is off and running once more as he tries to win these back-to-back tournaments. So hard to do, isn't it, in Indian Wells and Miami? But he's already done it before. He can do it again. So we'll be bringing you the final results in next week's tennis podcast as to who has won these events and all the results that unfold over the next week in Miami, which is, Catherine, one of the premier tournaments, isn't it, on the circuit, both men and women, and it's a 96-draw on the men's side. It's a a week-and-a-half-long tournament, nearly two weeks. I do feel as though it's actually probably dropped in level a little bit over the last few years. It used to be the one that all the players would refer to as the the fifth slam in the 90s. Now, well that's how it 
it branded itself, didn't it? It, it, it was, mean, and, and Roger Federer actually referred to it as that in his press conference the other day. And I have to say, I, I felt that was a bit of an empty comment in some regards because it has fallen behind in, in stature to Indian Wells, maybe not in terms of points and prize money, but in terms of feel. Indian Wells has really invested such an extraordinary amount and and Miami has trod water a little bit by comparison. Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it, how that happens? I mean, as as I think we were saying when you raised the whole issue of, you know, should we start reevaluating how we think of the Davis Cup in the grand scheme of achievements in tennis and you can't just decide where something how significant something is in the grand scheme of things I mean there is just a feeling now that Indian Wells is a bit above I would say all the other Master Series events would you create a new category for it as uh, Novak Djokovic was suggesting that that we should have some sort of super uh, I, I certainly segment. think that should be considered. Yeah, I certainly think just at the moment it feels like it warrants that. Now, I, I, I can envisage a few practical issues with that. I'm sure there are many others lurking just beneath the surface that I can't begin to comprehend at the mo- moment. It might not be feasible, but I certainly think. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription it should be considered by the ATP. And by the sounds of their response, I think they are open to considering it. The problem they have is that Shanghai are also asking 
for the same. They actually asked for it before Indian Wells um, said that they would like to be considered for a, a new sort of mid-tier category between Grand Slam and Masters level. And undoubtedly it would cause a lot of um, uh, unrest among the other events. But hey, if it keeps everybody on their toes and if it keeps everybody investing in, in their events for fear of falling behind that can probably only be good for tennis, right? We'll see. We'll see. I, I'm I'm unsure about it, to be honest, until I saw some sort of structure put in place. But certainly as an event itself, Indian Wells is the standout for me. It's certainly the ones I've been to. I haven't been to Shanghai. It's difficult for me to judge on that one. Uh, but Indian Wells is a special place. Um, Miami, though, has... Uh, a charm all of its own, I think, partly because of where it is. It is an incredibly exciting place to be in the world, I think, compared to Indian Wells, which is sort of beautiful in terms of its landscape, but is is a, is a much more sleepy environment compared to, to Miami, of course. But so much has happened at that tournament over the years. I remember uh, back in the, the 90s, there was a, a final between Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras, and Agassi actually allowed the final to take place at least an hour or two later because Sampras had got a stomach bug and was being sick in the morning. Sampras ended up winning and beating Agassi after being given extra time to play the final. Gosh, I didn't know about that. That's amazing. Would oh. that happen within, in this day and age? It's, Possibly. It's pretty rare. I have to. Say, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Uh, I, there was also the, the cracker in 1998 when Marcelo Rios thrashed Agassi in the final and became the the world number one tennis player. I remember incredible scenes in Miami. Rios just had huge support coming from Chile and, and many people uh, from that part of the world coming up to support him. And, uh, and back then, the idea that Rios would end up retiring, not winning a Grand Slam title would have seemed absolutely absurd. He managed to win Indian Wells and Miami back-to-back. He then went on to, I think, win Rome as well pretty comfortably and, and ended up losing to Carlos Moyer in the in the French Open. But that was a, a wonderful scene. We've had some other fantastic memories coming in on Twitter here at Tennis Podcast. Do follow us there. Uh, Claire Gammond says, what about when Andy Murray beat David Ferrer in that marathon final of three years ago? Do you remember that one, Catherine? I do, yeah. I'm glad I wasn't participating in that one. That was that I remember it making me feel exhausted just to bear witness to that. Well, if you consider that David Ferrer actually it's the first time I've and the only time I've ever seen him cramp on a tennis court. And he actually he cramped at the end of a rally and just fell over like a tree being felled. Uh, I was commentating on that match at the time for Five Live and uh, that was three hours in the heat and it was hard enough trying to describe it, let alone play it. Uh, there is um, a... Uh, a good memory here from our colleague Craig Gabriel, who, well, a couple of them actually, extraordinary memories, not exactly very happy ones, I have to say. One of them from when Thomas Muster, a man we talked about in our comebacks episode a few weeks ago when he got crushed by the car, Craig was telling me that he was actually in the car right behind Muster's when Muster's car was smashed into in the front uh, and his legs got crushed in that incident. And he also remembered when Miami was hit by a hurricane, I think it was in 1993, and uh, I remember watching this on TV and, and turning on the coverage for the day and, and them saying, there's, there's, no, there's not going to be any play today, here's why. 
and they showed a, a picture of the centre court, which and basically the stand had blown down. So you can get an idea of just how devastating that was, but they still managed to get the tournament finished on time. I also had a little exchange today, Catherine. This is awful name dropping. I know it is, but I had a little exchange with Goran Ivanisevic just to oh, rem- just, David. well, you oh. know, just to remind him, Catherine, of 1996 when he got through to the final. He'd beaten Pete Sampras in the semis, and he's playing Andre Agassi in the final. And Goran walks out onto the court, and everybody's waiting for this guy who's who's been in the the form of his life up until that point. He, he was in his seventh final of the year, and it was only March. And they're all waiting for the 130-mile-an-hour serves to be hit past Agassi. And Goran just sort of rolls his arm over at 80 miles an hour. And he'd basically gone to sleep the night before, woken up with a stiff neck, and he couldn't move. He had three hours of treatment, tried to play, and then at the end of the fourth game he had to retire because he got a stiff neck from sleeping wrong. It's not a glamorous injury, is it? It's not, it's not most... a really good one, is it? The crowd no. were booing him, and uh, and they ended up having to get Jim Currier from down the road to buy a helicopter to come play an exhibition match. Goran said afterwards, you have to be 100% to be that because the now is maybe two. <laughs> well, well it's, it's given you an opportunity to do your Goran impression, Thanks. so it's, it's been a worthwhile anecdote. It has, not it? So plenty of memories from the tournament in Miami. Many more have come in at Tennis Podcast. Just a couple of quick ones here. Ali says, what about Kim Kleister's coming back from injury in 2005 to win both Indian Wells and Miami back-to-back? Aaron Jones says the Serena Enan final of 2007. Serena coming back from a six-love first set and multiple match points to get the win. Pure class. And then what about this? This one really does ring true to me. Andrew Friedman says, the eye-popping play of a young Rafa Nadal in the 2005 final. He lost to Federer in five sets, but the rivalry began right there. 11 years ago. Unbelievable. 11 years ago. And then Nadal would go on, of course, to win the French Open just a couple of months later. So uh, now it's a cracking tournament, and I think we're in for an excellent uh, uh, well conclusion to the tournament over the next uh, five or six days. Now, Catherine, uh, in honour of yourself, my rubbish predictions, what you got? I've got an objection to the, uh, to the framing of the question is what I've got, David. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, just as a brief reminder, everybody, uh, does anybody remember it would have been about three years ago, the year that Andy Murray won Wimbledon? uh, Yeah, that's what everyone remembers that Wimbledon for, David. Yeah. What they really want to remember it for is when when Serena Williams was the all-conquering player in the world, as usual. And Catherine said halfway through the tournament that it is a foregone conclusion that Serena Williams will win Wimbledon, didn't you? And guess who was there to say, hold your horses, Catherine Whitaker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I can't deny that this happened because uh, it is still available to listen. You can hear me say those words if you so wish. You can go back through our archive. I mean, please don't, but you can if you want to. I'll post the link on um, Twitter. At I, let, I've, I've grown. I've grown as a person since then. <laughs> yeah, you, you have. And... Um, 
Anyway, Sabina Lazicki, as I said at the time, uh, was a pretty dangerous customer if uh, she got in the mood. And lo and behold, she went to beat Serena. So I was right and Catherine was wrong. Anyway, my rubbish predictions was the hashtag. And uh, I have to say, let's be honest, I could have a whole episode of them for myself, if, if we're completely honest. Uh, one of my uh, particular favourites was saying uh, that one Martin Del Potro would win the Australian Open a few years ago. And I think he lost in the third round. Um, we also That was the one where you said Wozniacki would win the women's as well, wasn't it? Isn't that what you said? And she had a... Or you said she'd win a Grand Slam that year and she had her... That really woeful year. Anyway... No, I think I said it, she'd re- she would reach a final, is what right. I actually said. And then the year later, she did. I'll yeah. have you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, I don't remember any of that. Um, what I do know for an absolute fact, as uh, Ali has very kindly reminded me, is that somebody in the year beginning predictions for 2016 says here, didn't the tennis podcast predictions at the start of the year have Australia winning the Davis Cup this year? Hashtag oops. Uh, yours did. Mine certainly didn't. I'm taking no part in that at all that is a david law specific prediction i would like that to be known right okay uh, anyway that is true i did do that and uh, as i said i've also got watson finishing above conta that's ridiculous uh and uh, anyway let's turn the uh, attentions to our followers on twitter because uh, thankfully everybody has uh, dutifully uh, stumped up their embarrassing moments hashtag my rubbish prediction and there are some absolute corkers get a load of these uh, andy murray fan andy millman says i thought that richard gasquet would be andy murray's main rival for world number one wow that didn't that didn't quite work out as you planned did it <laughs> i mean i feel bad laughing at the uh, the challenge of richard gasquet because he's been great but he's certainly not delivered on anything like that sort of promise no has he? no he really hasn't uh we've also got uh, greg gainer who says i remember and he's oh the, the the only problem with what greg gainer is doing here is that he's not saying his own rubbish prediction he's saying somebody else's which i did say that was allowed because i just want them to be uh, as bad as possible uh, he's highlighting somebody from espn called mike wilburn who apparently said in 2008 that roger federer was done and should retire well, that's embarrassing, isn't it? I, I'm, I, th- I think that probably deserves outing. Uh, he's probably living as a recluse somewhere, that ESPN man now, in shame. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm, you know, hang your head forever is what I would suggest would be a really, really good idea to do. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, some absolute beauties. We've got uh, Bridget Kelly says, I predicted Bernard Tomic would stop making rubbish predictions about his year-end ranking. Well, that didn't work out too well. Uh, Jordan Holt says, I predicted Serena to retire after her Wimbledon performance in 2014. Nope. That didn't happen. I, d- I mean, I don't... Um, yes, you were very wrong. Was that Jordan? You were very wrong. But, I mean... Serena's Two years wrong so far. Been nothing if not unpredictable in her career so um so i don't you know i i I don't think you should hang your head too far because you know she's surprised us so many times not least by not winning wimbledon in 2013 i mean that was a surprise wasn't it yeah huge surprise uh jordan i mean I, i completely disagree with Catherine. hang your head in shame is what i say Raphael banfi says benoit pair in the top five 
by the Australian Open of 2016, is what Raphael yeah. said. Oops. Yeah, that's embarrassing. There's, that's unequivocally embarrassing, Raphael. Yeah, because Benoit Paire is currently 22 in the world, and the highest he's ever been is 18 in the world. That is not top five, Raphael. Uh, now, what else? We have... Uh, Don Draper. This is one of my absolute favourites. Not the real Don Draper, David. Just like that. Might be. Might be. (laughs) Says says Djokovic to be a one-slam wonder. (laughs) Oh, I really applaud John. Don. Don. I mean, again, not your real name, Don, I'm sure. Um, I really applaud Don for outing such such foolhardiness. Well done. That's very brave of you. (laughs) Greg Gaynor's back again. Says, I thought that Ryan Harrison would be a top 10 player and be the next American great. That re- That's the worst of the lot. I really, I mean, you know, Ryan Harrison, good luck to him. And uh, he's plugging away and doing his best. But he was only really talked about because of the dearth of American players. I don't think he ever really had the the talent to be discussed in even top 20 terms. Really, let's be honest. I'm afraid that is harsh, but I I thought he would do a lot better than he has, I have to say. Um, And listen, maybe he still will. As you say, he is a worker, that guy. He's still trying, but he does appear to be a a lot more limited than than he was certainly billed as in the early uh, parts of his career. Robert Williams predicted that Golbus would be a top five player a few years ago. And Ethan Lee says that I've put all of my fan energy and fantasy tennis into Yertsi Janowicz and Ernest Golbus. Well, you know, for, oh, first of all, Ernest Golbus has the talent to be a top five player. He just Does doesn't he? have the mindset. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got not he got to number nine in the world, didn't he? I mean, it's not... I know he didn't hang around there very long and went on to win about two matches in, in nine months or something. But he is a fantastically talented tennis player. He's just got a, a very bizarre head on his shoulders. Um, Do you know Jerzy Janowicz is now 99 in the world? He was, once, he was once 14 in the world. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. But again, he was talked about. You know, when he first burst onto the scene and he's six foot six at least, I think, perhaps six eight. Foot, no, six, six foot eight. eight, yeah. I look you, up to You him. know your height, David. I'll tell you, when, when I start looking up to people, I leave the room because, frankly, that's my thing. Six foot eight and that enormous serve and he had that fantastic run at Wimbledon beaten by Andy Murray and and he's... Crikey, I mean, I haven't even thought about Jerzy Janowicz in, in several months, and there he is at 99 in, in the world, yeah. Uh, I particularly enjoyed this one. Mark Doherty has retweeted the Andy Murray tweet from about three years ago when he said, mark my words, you've heard it here first, Caroline Garcia is going to be world number one. Hey, he wasn't alone there. Hashtag my rubbish prediction. Yeah, I, I mean, perhaps world number one was... Uh, st- uh, a bridge too far I mean who am I to disagree with Andy Murray though but I mean she certainly is currently failing to deliver on quite a lot of promise I certainly think there really ought to be more to come from her yeah she's a a real talent there's no question about that Uh, Jay Clark said uh, Andy Murray will win more slams than Novak Djokovic oh dear Jay that one hasn't worked out too well there's technically still still time he's nine uh... behind He's nine behind. He's 28 years old. How long do you think yeah, he's going to go on and play I'm for? I'm saying te- uh, technically there's right. still time. Maybe you'll win yeah. nine in a row. Uh, Tom G. 
says that Gael Monfils would win at least one slam, reach many major semi-finals and quarters, and rival the Big Four's fan bases. And by many people's estimations, he ought to have. Not by mine. I think that. Um, Hold uh, on a minute. I, I You're don't saying agree. That I don't you didn't agree think with... he was that good. I was. I mean, he was better than Andy Murray when they were juniors. I know that that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he has the talent unquestionably. And I think many, lots of people say, look, he sacrificed results in order to be this great entertainer. And to that, I say, I don't think there's any other way he could do it. I don't think if he sacrificed that part of himself, that personality, he wouldn't be half the tennis player that he is. That's the only way he knows how to do it. And uh, he has enriched the tennis world for it. It's a shame that he hasn't been able to do that and uh, perhaps get more consistent results because, you know, potential-wise, I mean, he is, you know, pretty much universally considered the best athlete on tour and he's a pretty skillful, talented tennis player to boot. So, again, I, th- I think that's not the most preposterous prediction. Not the most preposterous. We have one suggestion here that uh, anybody who'd said that Roger Federer and Andy Roddick would be a great rivalry uh, was guilty of a rubbish prediction. That that was said a lot back in late 2003. And I'll tell you what, right at the front of the queue saying that would have been a rubbish prediction is Andy Roddick because he's always quite quick to uh, to admit to that. Sander says that Bodan Olerak was going to be top 10 at materials. Do you remember Bodan Olerak, Catherine? Crikey, there is another name I haven't heard in a really long time. <laughs> I do, but I don't ever remember him being in the top 10. No, he got to 22 in the world. Not quite, nearly. Um, so that isn't going to happen. That was a rubbish prediction. Uh, we also have uh, our good friend and uh, occasional uh, participant on the tennis podcast Dave Levy who said my rubbish prediction was that David Law would beat Catherine Whitaker at tennis I'm offended that he ever thought that to start with and uh, I hope that he um, yeah again sort of lives in a cave somewhere feeling shamefaced and unable to face the world in light of what a fool I've made of him yeah well, all right. Well, double or quits on Monopoly is what I say. Daniel uh, will just finish with, uh, says, this isn't tennis. But I said to my dad when I first saw Lionel Messi play at Chelsea's Stamford Bridge that he would be nothing. I mean, yeah, there's just no reason to confess to that. I mean, that's, yeah. But wow. that's the beauty of it. This is people can... are having a really cathartic experience yeah. this week with I'm the really tennis proud. podcast I'm interactive so element of the show. There is nothing I can be more proud of than somebody who gets it so horrifically wrong and is there to say yes yes I did so Catherine Whittaker (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to chime in because uh, I'm yeah that pretty much wraps it up I think for another edition of the tennis podcast brought to you in association with the Telegraph who's going to win Miami Catherine talking of predictions Oh, I don't know. Men's maybe, and women's, come on. Uh, maybe Novak Djokovic and, uh, God, will Victoria Azarenka do the double? That is the question. Um, I think she might, you know. I think they wow. both might do the double. 
That's very exciting. Well, uh, because we're on a bit of a roll with the old predictions, and it is what we do for a living, uh, except we don't get paid for it, we should say that we have decided to do a match of the day daily prediction from now on, from all the Masters 1000 and Premier level tournaments and the Grand Slams. How do you like that, Catherine Whitaker? It's time to lay it on the line and actually see who's the best at this stuff. I love it because, you know, as as we've established i'm uh, i i've grown as a person since my days of terrible predicting and uh, i i now feel confident in in my ability what do you base she that says, on giggling through her through her microphone right okay, okay. Uh, uh yeah well look we're all rubbish let's just be honest all of you all of us that's fine let's just be rubbish together we'll speak to you soon 